quick fit tire and exhaust center. And they decided to sell up and the church dutifully bought it. And of course it then gave rise to all the possibilities with such an extension. Tire and exhaust place for tired and exhausted <laughs> Christians. And undoubtedly these last two or three years have been very difficult, leaving much of the church in Great Britain and further afield tired and exhausted. And asking questions of, Lord, what's this all about? And where's it all going? And what is it you want to say to us through this? And I suspect too that on a personal level, many of us have been through tough times. We've had more than a, the occasional bad day. We kind of wonder where God is. And we've come to Keswick in the hopes that we may afresh connect and find the Lord and find some answers to some of the things that have been perplexing us and some hope and some refreshment to, to body, soul and spirit so that renewed we may go forward. Elijah had had, as I mentioned in the preface to the reading, he'd had a, a bad day, a real bad day. He'd had many good days. He'd seen God move in great power. But now he's running for his life and he's lonely and he's depressed and he's weary and he's worn and he's sad and he doesn't know what to do with himself. And there the Lord meets him. Isn't that just how gracious our Father in heaven is? Again and again he doesn't just meet us on the mountaintops but he meets us in the dark valleys, in the valley of the shadow when it's tough and our hearts are breaking. And suddenly we find, in the words of William Cooper's great hymn, sometimes a light surprises the Christian while he sings. It is the Lord who rises with healing in his wings. And this is what happens to Elijah as he moves from isolation and desolation to re-engagement and being able to press on with God. Uh, when I was uh, living in England, I was a regular devotee of Question Time, uh, sometimes on the radio, but usually on a Thursday night. And uh, sometimes a fool can ask a question that a wise person can't answer. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> or taken respite in the hope that that might be so. But what happens when God is asking us questions? Well, God is asking Elijah a question. Verse 9 and verse 13 repeated, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? And I want to suggest to you that it breaks itself very easily, at least for our purposes this morning, into a kind of three-pronged examination for our health. And the first point, very simply, is this. Uh, Elijah is uh, asked a probing question. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? And the answers actually come thick and fast. He, he begins to tell the Lord, well, well, Lord, you know why I'm here. Because I've run away and he's actually exhausted. He's physically, mentally, and emotionally wrung out. You can get very weary in God's work, even when you don't get weary of God's work. And this point in his life, as he's run, and I don't know whether he was any 
like some of the keen jogger or whatever, he'd been running in chapter 18, and now he's running for his life. But physically, he's out of sorts. And mentally, he's out of sorts. And spiritually, he's out of sorts. He's having a bad hair day. And he's exhausted. He's weary. He's worn. He's sad. Have you been there too? And he's depressed. <coughs> Some Christians will give you the impression that consistent Christian life is a 32 teeth grin, perpetual smile. And then you read the Bible <laughs> and you come across these great saints like Elijah, whose name means Yahweh is my God. And he's not living up to his name and to the God who loves him. Are you exhausted this morning? And of course, he's isolated as well. That's why he keeps saying, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one. Do you ever feel that in your church? You know, and where you are, you in your small corner and I in mine, but you feel you're the only one in the small corner and you're the only one concerned to get things going again and, and to stand up for truth and to stand up for what's right. And you see the tides of secularism and everything that's happening in Great Britain today and you're saying, I even I only left. Does nobody else see this? Of course, it's a dangerous place to be in, isn't it? Two are better than one, says Ecclesiastes 4. If one falls, the other can lift him up. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. And there's times when, if we're not careful, we start running in smaller, smaller circles. And we can get into a cycle of depression because we begin to feel nobody else is concerned. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. And I'm the only one left and I'm feeling isolated. And so I come to a place like Keswick in the hopes that by the grace of God, I might actually find others who are equally concerned that God may move again in renewing power and come and show his mighty arm in salvation. Isolation. These are the symptoms, of course, that can feed into depression. And then there's expectation. And I use that word deliberately because I think part of Elijah's problem was he's just seen this massive move of God against these false prophets in chapter 18. And yet he's longing for revival. And in his heart somewhere he's thinking, but nothing seems to have changed. Some of us can look back to the good old days. We've seen God move maybe in the little fellowship we've served and people have been converted. But it hasn't happened for a while, for quite a while. And we've been through some mountaintop experience and, and God seemed to be there and the windows of heaven were open. And we thought God was going to pour out His Spirit. Think of some of the prophecies that we've seen in the last 30 or 40 years of how God was going to come and renew and revive his work throughout Great Britain and how it was going to start in London and God was going to fill you know the, the earth with the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea and things have got worse and our fellowship closed and our hearts were broken by the way it's really important always to recognize that God is his own interpreter, that he is not synchronizing his watch to turn up with mine, necessarily. And the things that our fathers put 
in the seasons and times in his own hands calls for my perseverance and just putting one foot in front of another. And I imagine for poor old Elijah, like many of us, we long that God may move in power again and, and pray, Lord, thy kingdom come. We see what's happening to our children, our grandchildren, and our society. God have mercy. And I suspect the last symptom might just be a little bit of ego. I, even I, only am left. What's going to be your newest book, Elijah? The world's seven greatest saints, and now I personally train the other six. I've met some friends like that. They kind of, the ego has landed. They kind of wonder how God ever managed before they came. Their mega ministries. You know, wow, astonishing. You almost feel that the triune God, the Trinity, has sort of co-opted them into the, the Godhead, and now it's the quadrinity or something. <laughs> and, and we're all in danger of that. I mean, we are. If we're not careful, we can not only take ourselves too seriously, but begin to wonder, I wonder what people think of me. Can I give you the inside track? Most of the time, they're so wrapped up thinking about themselves, they never think about you at all. <laughs> Relax, take a chill pill. <laughs> but here's Elijah. And, and he's worried, and he's concerned, and I'm the only one left. And Elijah, you will remember, won't you? Like the great Spurgeon used to say, I often remind myself that I am the Lord's servant, not the Lord's solicitor. For the servant obeys, and the solicitor advises. We're not here to advise the Lord. And he scrupulously protects his own glory for our good. So we can be fully God to us. And I imagine there's strains of a bit of self-pity and a bit of reputation. And <coughs> I wonder what will happen when, you know, in the best part of 3,000 years' time, Steve Brady's preaching about me and talking about how I ran away from a woman. That's going to ruin my reputation, right? I don't think he's worried about it, by the way, at the moment, do you? Some of you obviously think he is. So, <laughs> so here's a probing question. What are you doing here, Elijah? We could put the four things up there. My able assistant, Zach, has got them up. But here's a second point. This is a probing question. But it's a very practical question, too. What are you doing here, Elijah? Have you ever seen that uh, wonderful film, obviously, the distortion here and there on Maggie Thatcher? the Iron Lady, towards the end of her life when she's lapsing into Alzheimer's, she's having a conversation supposedly with her doctor, and the doctor says to her, how do you feel, Margaret? Oh, she says, you protest. Everybody wants to know how you feel. How do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? How do you feel? And she says, but if you ask me what I think, and he says, well, what do you think, Margaret? What's your thoughts? Because they become words. And watch your words because they become actions. And watch your actions because they become, can you almost hear us saying it, habits. <laughs> and watch your habits because it becomes your character. And watch your character because it becomes your destiny. We become what we think. And too many of us live in our feelings and forget to think. 
and then that leads to doing. And the Lord doesn't say to Elijah, how are you feeling, Elijah? Because otherwise he'd probably say, I'll tell you how I'm feeling, well, I'm feeling really downright rotten and I feel you've let me down and the tide's gone out and I'm sick of it and here's my prophet's badge, please, I want to die. So the Lord doesn't ask him. Lord doesn't ask how he feels. I mean, you have to be careful. As a very young, sort of trained pastor about 48 years, 50 odd years ago, I remember I got a big lesson. There was a dear old soul I go to see chat. Everything going for the family were around the corner. And I made the mistake of saying, How do you feel? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Verse for him says, Fill your fellow creature's ear with the sad tale of all your care. Moan, 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 moan. I don't think she's ever taken a drink in her life, but boy, did she have a wine list. <laughs> so, so here, the Lord says to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? What is it you're going to do? And, and what, what's going to be the way out of, of this spiral downwards where you think, Lord, I've left you and I've left my work? And I've abandoned my purposes for Israel and the salvation of the world through the coming of my son in, in glory to save the world. Elijah, what are you doing here? And so the Lord kindly tells him to eat up. He provides food for him and rest. It's an old saying, isn't it? Without becoming, you know, kind of so fastidious and stupid. But You've got to look after your body in some measure, isn't it? Because if you don't look after the body God's given you, where are you expecting to live? I'm going to heaven. Yes, you are. Sooner rather than later. No, you know, most of us now get to a stage that we get on. We realise, you know, our only hope of getting over that chap who came to live with us, arthritis, <laughs> or all the other aches and pains, or, you know. The only hope for us, thank God, is the great resurrection, right? I used to go to a gym years ago, and I used to look around there and think, boy, you don't need a gym, you just need the resurrection as well. <laughs> yeah, whatever. But God deals with us physically. Your physicality, your body, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and Elijah is exhausted physically, so the Lord gives him good food and rest. I, I, I hope... You won't just be pigging out all the time while you're here on just fast food. You know, just taking a, yourself seriously. And, and that's not a kind of invitation on a guilt trip now, you know, whatever. I've got to now be slim for him or something. Okay? <laughs> but you're saying take good care of what God's given you. And then the Lord already deals with him to tell him to eat up physically. But he tells him to listen up. Because the word of the Lord comes to him. And that's that's primarily why we're here. We, we want to hear the word of the Lord. We come to a Keswick convention where not that the Bible is central. Jesus Christ, God in Jesus Christ is central as revealed in the pages of the 1189 chapters that we call this book, God's Revelation is inspired, infallible, inerrant, unfailing word. And so the Lord comes to him. The word of the Lord came, verse 9 and 13. What are you doing here, Elijah? The word of the Lord, it came. He needed to mentally, not only physically, he needed to mentally get his act together to think. While you're here, I hope you'll be doing that. 
You'll give space and time to listen to God's word. It's, it's great to be in a beautiful place like this. It's great to meet with friends. But you know, there is a growing tide, maybe a, a, a hurricane force of biblical ignorance in the churches. There really is. You know, I came up in very simple spirituality in the little mission hall I was converted in my hometown of Liverpool. No Christian background, but it was, you know, read your Bible, pray every day if you want to grow. It, it was profoundly simple and simply profound. And many of us, we don't open our Bibles enough. We don't have a plan. Just told you there's 1189 chapters in the Bible. If you read three chapters a day, six times a week, and five on a Sunday, how many is that? Well, I'm not going to make it work. It's 23, right? And what's 23 multiplied by 52? Uh, a big number. <laughs> it's 1196. So if you read three chapters of the Bible every day, and five on a Sunday, you get through the whole Bible in, in, in one year, and you'll have seven chapters over, and you'll get an extra day, that's ten chapters, so you could then throw in Ezra or, or Esther for that matter if you wanted to. Okay, But whatever plan you have, plan to read God's Word, because you don't want to get to heaven, do you? And a guy comes up and says, Hi, did you enjoy my book? And you say, what book was that? You know, my name's Obadiah. <laughs> I couldn't find that. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I only wrote one chapter. Thanks. You know? So just listening to God's Word, reading it for yourself, and listening in, making sure your church is a teaching church, encouraging the pastor, preacher, whatever you call them, to, to open the scriptures. Mm. We need to hear the word of the Lord, especially in these days, when, you know, folk have got thousands, ten, some of the millions of followers on Twitter. I think, oh my life, give, get it. And, and so-and-so said this, and their authority is what? We follow one who is risen from the dead, whose words will last forevermore. And when every word of humanity is finished, the word of our God will stand forever. And so all the chit-chat and whatever, the Bible then gives us a way of dealing with the information that's fired at us. And how do we deal with this? And what's, what, what's God's view on stuff? And there's a third thing. And that is that he's told to link up. He says, I've got 7,000 others, you know, Elijah. So you come here to Keswick. Because that's a good thing to do, is it? You want to link up with other believers. And that's right. You know, again, some of the nonsense I used to, sometimes people say, well, these last years there have been all these nonsense songs and written. Now, I was brought up with, with old songs as well, and some of them were a bit nonsensical as well. I could keep you here till the afternoon with some of them, but I'm just going to, just to mention why we used to go, is if you know the Lord, you need nobody else to see you through the darkest night because of an honor or something. I don't know. Now, at one level, that's true. But it's a distortion of the truth. So many of the commands and junctions in the New Testament and churches are you, plural, as we say in Liverpool, yous. Or they say in Cayman, it's a place of the Americans, y'all. It's plural. It's, it's use. And we need other believers. You weren't meant to do this Christian thing by yourself. 
Isn't that encouraging? You know, we walk personally with God, but actually we need each other. I need the fellowship of the saints. And that's what's been so hard about COVID, that we've been kept away from others, even physically seeing them. And, it's, and people say, well, I've been watching it online. Yeah, okay, it's fine, I understand. But let me tell you, it is not and cannot ever be the same for meeting together like we are here this morning physically. It just doesn't happen. This last week, I met up with two guys. One was my next door neighbor, and the other guy lived across the street, who's about a year or so older than me. I've seen both of them once, once in 50 years. And I got the two of them together in Liverpool over lunch, and we kind of reminisced about places. And they were there, and I was there, and we shared things. And you remember it, not because I saw it on a photograph, because I was there. And the big things in my life are usually because I've been there. They've made deep impact. And the people in my life who I treasure are those who are not just in faraway places with strange sounding names, but the people I've shared a space with. And Elijah needed to be reminded that not only was he not alone, but even the world knows people who need people are the luckiest people in the world. And we need local churches. We need to be encouraging our local churches. And it's what has been painful for most of us as pastors is to see the slow return to gathered worship of so many who profess faith in Christ. I, I threw a, this is really painful, this illustration, okay, for me as a lifelong unrepentant Evertonian. <laughs> I threw a picture up at my, at my congregation of a, a cold, rainy night at 10.30 in the midst of COVID. And there was an illegal gathering at Liverpool FC's cop end of about 2,000 people at 10.30 at night. And they're singing and dancing and rejoicing because this is where it's painful. <laughs> Liverpool has won the Premier League for the first time for 30 years. And I threw it up and said, look at these jokers here. They're out late at night, they're getting soaked, they don't care because their team has won. And you tell me, Jesus Christ is Lord, he's on the throne of the universe, he's working out his eternal purposes, and he has you in the power of his hands, and you're frightened to come out just in case you catch something. No, I'm, I'm, I'm being wise about this, okay? So don't come after me after me saying, oh, it's so important. That we... Look, we can't continue to wrap ourselves up in cotton wool because the truth is, as George Bernard Shaw said, one out of one people die. So you're going to die. I'm going to say something about that before I'm through, okay? So just hold it there before you start saying, what's his email so I can send him a note to tell him? <laughs> you're not getting it, okay? But we need to be together. That's why you've come to Keswick. God bless you for being here. And so he's told to physically, he, he needs to eat up. And mentally, he needs to listen up to God's word. And we might say socially, he needs to reconnect. But most of all, spiritually, he just needs to look up. The Lord comes and speaks through the earthquake, wind and fire hmm, in a gentle whisper. And the sound of a hovering silence, says one commentator. God can speak through the earthquake, wind, and fire. He often does. 
Our God is not a one-trick pony. He speaks in many diverse ways into our lives through his word and through his people. But there's those times when he comes gently to us because we're wounded and we're hurting and we're mourning and we're sad. He is then the gentle physician. And this, this sound of a hovering silence is this inimitable, hard to define sense of the presence of God, that the Lord is there. And, and for Elijah, this hovering silence is this hovering presence of the infinite God, that he's all I'll ever need. One of his names, El Shaddai, means the God who's enough. Elijah says, Lord, I've had enough. And he says, no, you haven't. You haven't had enough of me. That's your problem. Amen. I remember my first visit to the Keswick Convention. We'd been married about a year, a year in ministry too. And I was feeling pretty shot and weary. 1976. And the great Alec Montiel was preaching through Nehemiah. Just four hits. And... Uh, he was in full flow and he said, in that lovely Irish brogue, so you're telling me you're weary and worn and sad? I'll tell you what your problem is. I'm thinking, this is me, Lord. I am feeling pretty. He said, you've lost your vision of God. Elijah had lost his vision of God. I've had enough. And God says, no, you haven't had enough. I am enough to meet all your needs from here to eternity and an eternity of eternities. The inexhaustible great I am. And Elijah just needed to know that. This is indeed a probing question. It's a very practical question. Make sure that you have those four things there coming up. Eat up, listen up, link up, and don't forget to look up to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. But here's the final thing. It's also a very personal question. <clears throat> what are you doing here? Elijah. His name means, my God, Ellie, is Yahweh. Not my God is the, the creator of all things. My God is the sustainer of all things. My God, in the unfolding drama of the Bible, is the redeemer God who's personally come and taken our flesh and taken our sin and lived the life we could never live and has paid our debt and is now risen from the dead and is alive in the power of an endless life. Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. He has broken death and all that it means. Because he lives, he says, because I live, you shall live also. And we know, therefore, far more than poor old Elijah knew two and a half thousand more years ago. But he nevertheless, his name is, my God is Yahweh, the Lord. Who are you? Who are you? If you listen to, uh, not science, that's very different, but if you listen to uh, the philosophers who give you, suppose that there's scientists making a comment, which is different from science, making a comment, by the way. Some of them, the atheists, will tell you, 
that you came from nothing, ultimately, and all those wonderful pictures now seen, 13.1 billion years ago, whatever, you know, once upon a time there was nothing, and out of nothing everything came, and, and to nothing maybe everything will go. So you came from nothing, and you're going to nothing, and therefore nothing matters. So if that's true, then I don't need to listen to them either, because what they say doesn't matter either, right? <laughs> <laughs> Bible's view is totally different. You were made in the image of God. You were made to be loved by God and to love God and to know Him and to enjoy Him forever. And your being here on planet Earth is no accident. And all the things and all those variegated roots that make you you and the connections you have in anything else hasn't happened behind a wise and good Creator's back. You, you're supposed to be here. And I know some of us are getting on a bit, you know. The, the years are flying by. And one of the most heinous things about the supposed euthanasia debate, now the euphemism of assisted dying, is it makes folk be, begin to think, well, I'm being a burden and I shouldn't be here. And maybe if I move off this mortal coil and go into dignitas or something, well, well, I'll save the family some money. I think it was a previous Keswick speaker who wonderfully said some years ago, you were made to be a burden. Enjoy it. <laughs> Get your own back on your kids. <laughs> You're meant to be here. I know, I know the issues are complex about ending <laughs> care. I regularly engage with them. But you were meant to be here. You're not like the Department of Fine and Applied Arts apparently years ago, in the early days of computing, about 60 years ago, the Department of Fine and Applied Arts at Illinois University had this uh, little printout each uh, semester, term and half, to their students. And, and they'd use a number, dear X, uh, and, and dear XYZ5432, we have a personal interest in you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, God has a personal interest in you, and you're not a number as we approach 8 billion people on the planet. You're a name. Just reading this morning, man, quiet time in Exodus, the Lord says to Moses, I have known you by name. He knows my name. He knows my every birth. He knows you intimately, like nobody else knows you. And as a wise man once said, God will never be disillusioned with you because he didn't have any illusions to start with. <laughs> he knows Elijah inside out. There's not there's many things in my life that will disappoint the Lord. There's nothing in my life that he didn't know about and will take him by surprise and shock because he knows me. And Elijah just simply needs to know if Yahweh is your God, then you matter, Elijah. You matter and you're meant to be here. Let me see if I can wrap this up. Here's your identity. You've got a name. And that's your security. When COVID kicked in, I decided I would do a congregation that we could initially meet, just a daily thought for the day. And it rolled on a bit, and a bit, and a bit. So 
We just plucked up nearly 700 of them. Nobody thought I had more than two thoughts in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I've done a long meditation, just three or four minutes still today, especially just recently on Revelation 1, and particularly on verse 18. Jesus says, do not be afraid, verse 17. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Do you know what the logic of that is? The Lord has the keys of your destiny and everything in between. And if he has the keys of your destiny, then you're going to die on time. I don't understand how it all comes together. Many of us have been through the veil of bereavement this afternoon, my dear, dear friend Peter, maybe. Lord, why did you take him? I could have given you a whole pile of other candidates instead. Maybe the Lord said, Steve Brady, but why aren't you? He behaved. The Lord Jesus has the keys of your destiny. And until he puts the key in and turns it, you won't go on anywhere. That doesn't mean you're foolish and you, you, you kind of you know, so rely on providence that you become negligent. No, that, that's, not, that's not the way the Bible works. But you're going to die on time. So if you're going to die on time because your life is hid with Christ in God and the Lord Jesus has the keys of your destiny, then therefore you've got to live in time for Him. You know, some folk, they die at 35 and nobody notices till they're 93 when they're buried. You're dead for years. Always being very cautious and careful and frightened of it. Jesus says, fear not. I have the keys of your destiny. You ain't going anywhere anytime soon if it isn't in God's will. So just go for it. And as we get older, and I'll speak to this old guy here, old age, without being stupid, you know, deciding to take up hang gliding or something. <laughs> in 97. You were thinking of doing it, okay. <laughs> always anyway. You know, but being responsible. And taking risks because your times are in God's hands all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be Elijah's running for his life and the Lord's saying Elijah I know your name and everything to do with you here's your security where do I go in a difficult world here's your security and that's why I'm inviting you to intimacy with me that's what the cross and the resurrection is all about so sinful human beings through the Lord Jesus may come to the Father and be changed into the image of His Son. This is God's great agenda through the ages, to bring many sons and daughters to glory. And meanwhile, He invites us to know Him and to love Him and to trust Him. And as we close this morning, the Lord then says to him, So, you've had enough, have you? I've still got stuff for you to do, Elijah. Get up. Go. He was initially saying no. And the Lord says, no, no, no. I've met with you. Now return. And by the end of this week, or how many weeks you're here, the Lord's going to say, great, you've met with me. Now go, return, and walk in the good works I've planned in advance for you to do. And our response is to be like Isaiah. Lord, here am I. Send me. So we put those four things up. And where have we been? You had a bad day? Three things? 
What are you doing here, Elijah? I'm doing here. Oh, by the way, you will have noticed you came to Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. He turned up in a place where the Lord had met his people before. Welcome to Keswick. Over these near 150 years, countless Christians have met the Lord in this Horeb, in this Sinai. And my prayer for you this week is, that may be your experience too. So that as you leave, you can say goodbye to the tired and exhaust center next door to the old Lansdowne Baptist Church. And you can press on with all. And whether the days are good or bad or indifferent, you'll prove what the psalmist said. That goodness and mercy shall follow me most of the days of my life. <laughs> what was the word?